I want you to hit me as hard as you can. If you could go inside the mind of any celebrity, who would it be? Well, the obvious answer is John Malkovich, but the second best answer is John Cusack. Not only because he was in being John Malkovich, but because John Cusack can be in any movie. That's right, any type of movie. Just throw John Cusack in there and it works perfectly. I like to call him Genre Cusack because he can be in any genre. Romantic comedy? Check. Action flick? Check. Dramatic drama? Check. Thrilling thriller? Check. Kids cartoon? Check. A movie with a time machine that is a hot tub? Check. That's right, John Cusack can do it all. And he is so much more than just an adorable, somewhat cool, yet nerdy, love-struck teen from the 80s. Even though he has perfected playing that, too. But in the past few years, it seems like the caliber of his films are not as strong as they used to be. And most of them end up in the direct-to-video market. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is kind of a shame. So here we are, John, blasting non-copy-written music as we creepily-slash-romantically stand outside your metaphorical window, asking that age-old question, well, at least since 2014, what the f*** happened to John Cusack? Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? But to truly understand what the f*** happened to John Cusack, we must start at the beginning. John Cusack's first film was a 1983 Rob Lowe romp called Class. But not that many people saw it, and I'm one of those people I didn't see it. Cusack's next film was a bit more successful, playing Bryce in this timeless John Hughes classic, 16 Candles, in 1984. But 16 Candles is one of the finest, funniest 80s comedies of all time in the 80s. And even though John Cusack's role is not the biggest, this nerd sure left an impression, and a future career in show business was a sure thing. And his next film was The Sure Thing. Ha ha. Very nice. We're five minutes and I'm at a loss. Real smooth, Cliff. John Cusack would finally achieve leading man status with this film about a young man who's on a quest to find a woman who's a sure thing. That plot is so 80s, it's like totally radical. Wouldn't be made today though, which is totally radical. John Cusack was only 17 years old when they began filming, so he had to seek legal emancipation from his parents in order to shoot on location. It's a smartly written, mature teen comedy, and it's truly a breakout role for John Cusack. The film pulled in over 18 million buckaroos, and John was on the fast track to becoming the next big thing in the land of Hollywood land. Yeah! 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 You would think that was funny. Next up is a light-hearted comedy about a teenager who continuously tries to kill himself. You know, one of those dark comedies. It's the 1985 classic Better Off Dead, and is pretty much the definition of a dark comedy. Better Off Dead was a box office failure, taking in only $10 million, 
but has since gone on to achieve cult status. And the film has a bizarre sense of humor, but it's so original that you just gotta love the screwball surrealist take on the classic coming-of-age tale. And these wild comedy gags only work because the film is grounded by John Cusack's charming performance. He's such a charming young lad. And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. At a screening of the film, John Cusack walked out after 20 minutes, telling the director that the film was the worst thing he had ever seen, and he felt tricked. A fool. This was not the motion picture that John Cusack thought he was making. And John Cusack did not trust the director and said he never wanted to work with him again. Even though he was contractually obligated to be in the director's next picture, One Crazy Summer. That's right, the star of Better Off Dead is not a fan of Better Off Dead. Well, at least until 2013 when John Cusack backtracked on his hate for the film, saying that he certainly wishes that some things were better in Better Off Dead, but he wishes that about all of his films, and has finally appreciated the film's cult status. Yay! Are you a member of the cult? Then came the journey of Natty Gan in 1985. The film was nominated for Best Costume Design at the Academy Awards, but John Cusack had nothing to do with that. But the film was a hit with critics, with 91% on those tomatoes that are rotten, and John Cusack did have something to do with that. It's one of those movies that's just gonna sit there on my Disney Plus watch list for like pretty much forever. But I like knowing that it's there if I ever feel the need to watch this journey of Natty Gan, which I probably won't. But it looks good, so uh, you can watch it for me. Ah! He made it! Then he reunited with the Sure Thing director Rob Reiner for another 80s classic, Stand By Me. John has a very small role, it's pretty much just a cameo and a flashback sequence, but he's good in it. Then he finally reunited with the Better Off Dead director, which he hated, didn't want to work with, but he signed a contract in blood. I'm just assuming that's how things work in Holly Weird. That film, One Crazy Summer, only pulled in a disappointing $13 million. Critics didn't really like it much, they thought the jokes fell flat. Then, in 1987 came Hot Pursuit, another 80s movie that follows some dude on a hot pursuit to find a hot chick. It's so 80s. It tanked at the box office with only $4 million and only has 0% on those tomatoes that are rotten. Critics said the film was riddled with cliches and overdone plot devices. Oh my gosh, I hate those things. Just sit down and shut up! Then came the movie Tapeheads. It was the first collaboration between Tim Robbins and John Cusack, but this movie made less than $1 million at the box office. And Roger Ebert said that the film lacked originality, but other people have gone on to call this a forgotten cinematic gem. So uh, go off and discover this gem if you feel like it. Then in the year 1988 came Eight Men Out. 
This baseball flick about Shoeless Joe was released only six months before Field of Dreams, and although the film received generally favorable reviews, Siskel and Ebert pointed their thumbs in opposite directions on this one. Then he played a general in the music video for the thrash metal band Suicidal Tendencies, cause rock and roll. Then finally came the movie Say Anything in 1989. John Cusack would achieve full-blown movie stardom with his classic film written and directed by Cameron Crowe, and that boombox scene has gone down as one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. And it's often parodied, which is a sign that it has a permanent position in pop culture. And in preparing for this role, John Cusack took up kickboxing, eventually becoming a six-level black belt, and that magazine thing, Entertainment Weekly, has ranked this as the greatest modern movie romance. His character Lloyd is considered one of the greatest characters in movie history, according to Premier Magazine. They ranked him number 72 on a list, and they're always right, I'm assuming. The film actually did not light the box office on fire, though, only pulling in around uh, 20 million bucks. But of course, it has gone down to achieve cult status. And are you a member of this cult, too? Hey, Lloyd, someone's here to see you. Then there was a movie about the Manhattan Project called Fat Man and Little Boy, which is a great title. But the film made less than $5 million at the box office and was criticized for its distortion of facts. Fake news. Then he kicked off the 90s with a film called The Grifters. John Cusack would appear opposite Angelica Houston and Annette Bening in this film about a con man. John Cusack took a pay cut to appear in this movie because he was a fan of the book. So it's got lots of good reviews and it's got lots of Oscar nominations for Angelica Houston and Annette Bening and director Stephen Frears and for the screenplay, but sadly no nomination for Johnny Boy. The next year, 1991, came the movie True Colors. Critics praised the performances of the two leads and were impressed that they were able to stay away from cliched material. Man, those critics really hate cliches. Which is such a cliche. And this film was a massive bomb at the box office, pulling in less than $1 million. Which is such a cliche. I don't even think I'm using that word right, which is such a cliche. Then John Cusack went on to work with everybody's favorite human being, Woody Allen. The film was called Shadow and Fog. This serial killer comedy is an homage to German expressionist cinema, which I like because art. Critics said that the film had a pleasing aesthetic but was lacking in the screenplay department, and the film only made $3 million, which actually sounds like a lot of money to people who don't have $3 million. And like I said, John Cusack loves music. And many of his films feature a lot of music, his favorite music. And such is the case with Roadside Prophets, an experimental film featuring several prominent early 90s musicians. Critics liked this one, calling it a 90s-era Easy Rider. The film would make less than $200,000 in its theatrical run, which actually sounds like a lot of money to people who don't have $200,000. And then he would go on to do two great cameos, one of them in Robert Altman's The Player, and another in a movie called Map of the Human Heart. 
And then there were more smaller roles in films like Bob Roberts and Floundering. And what's really surprising about John Cusack's career at this time was the number of small roles he took on, when he could have been a massive leading man after the success of Say Anything. But in 1993, John Cusack would return to leading man status with the film Money for Nothing, about a man who finds $1.2 million after it's dropped off from an armored car. And perhaps he should have just taken that $1.2 million that he found in the film, because the movie made less than that. Come on, everybody, belly up! I'm fine! Critics did not like this film, yet they all said that his performance was great. Which is actually the case of most films featuring The Sack. It's a nickname I have for John Cusack. The Sack. You should call him that too. The Sack. I'm sure it'll catch on. And The Sack would reunite with his Shadows and Fog buddy Woody Allen for the far more successful film Bullets Over Broadway. And this was a great film and another example of John Cusack getting no respect from the Academy, even though several members of the cast were nominated and Diane Wiest actually won. Yet John Cusack was sadly left off that list. But the sack does not need an unholy golden idol to prove that he is awesome. But it would be kind of cool, I guess. But who cares? Yet again, John Cusack has found himself in a film loved by the critics. And they're important. And those important critics called it a gleefully entertaining backstage comedy. Yet audiences did not really show up for this one because Bullets Over Broadway only made like $13 million. Because it's a Woody Allen movie. But to be honest with you, at this moment, I really don't think you understand my work at all. Every actor dreams of working with Al Pacino, and John Cusack got his chance in 1996 with the film City Hall. The film received mixed reviews, said it was good acting, but disappointing movie. But oh well, you got to work with Pacino, so who gives a f if the film is a hit or not? Consorting with known mobsters, Kevin, for God's sakes. You're my right hand, you're the mayor's right hand. What are you fucking around for? Perhaps feeling a bit underwhelmed with the direction of his career, John Cusack decided it was time for him to take full ownership of his future by producing and co-writing this slick tale of a hitman who's attending his high school reunion, Gross Point Blank, in 1997. And believe it or not, this was released the same month as Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. And yeah, Gross Point Blank, it's like that Romy and Michelle movie, but, but with more guns. The film does a great job of balancing the action-packed assassin story with the romantic comedy stuff, and both aspects of the film work so well. Gross Point Blank would still be a good rom-com if you cut out all the Hitman stuff, and Gross Point Blank would still be a good Hitman movie if you cut out all the rom-com stuff. But we get both! Plus, it's just frickin' hilarious and has a great ensemble cast, which includes Minnie Driver, Dan Aykroyd, Alan Arkin, and his good buddy, Jeremy Piven. Oh, and his sister, Joan Cusack. Critics loved the film's witty screenplay and pitch-perfect performance by John Cusack. It's one of his best. Gross Point Blank is gross point perfect. <coughs> Speaking of perfect, then came Con Air. In this movie, John Cusack plays the only cop who believes in our hero. You know, like the Family Matters guy in Die Hard. Because this movie is basically Die Hard on a plane. A prison plane. And in no way is that a bad thing? John Cusack absolutely loathes this movie. That's right, John Cusack hates Con Air so much that for years he refused to speak of it. 
And I strongly disagree. Con Air is one of the greatest things ever made. Not just movies, greatest things ever made. But John Cusack did take home the prestigious favorite supporting actor at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. Con Air pulled in a massive $224 million worldwide. Oh yeah, Nicolas Cage is in this one too. Also in 1997, he played Scary Man in the adaptation of the play Hell Cab. And that same year, 1997, busy time for John, there was Anastasia. The movie was a hit with critics who said the film featured strong voice performances and beautiful animation for 1997. And it made $140 million at the box office worldwide. Also in 1997, gosh dang, that year would bring us the movie Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. John Cusack would team up with legendary director Clint Eastwood and Kevin Spacey. In this mostly true story about a murder in Savannah, Georgia. And I actually went to college in Savannah. And trust me, this tale of good and evil in the garden at midnight, well, it has taken over that entire city. Everywhere you go, someone will say, hey, the guy got shot right over there. Or hey, they shot a scene right over there. But the film didn't do too well at the box office, making $25 million from a $35 million budget. And this is one of those examples of people saying the book was better, but I didn't read it. Give me some. I'm not giving you shit. Oh, come on. Yeah, I, I'm straight. So am I. Yeah, I get to straight just... to my house. Let's go. Oh. Cusack would next be seen as part of a large ensemble cast in the Best Picture nominee, The Thin Red Line. The World War II movie from 1998 that isn't Saving Private Ryan. This was Terrence Malick's first movie in 20 years. Then in 1999, John Cusack went over to HBO with John Goodman for The Jack Bull. Also in that same year, 1999, another busy year for John, there was The Cradle Will Rock. The film was nominated for the Palme de Tour at the 1999 Cannes Film Festival, which I hear is a great honor. Also in 1999, he would star opposite Billy Bob Thornton in the comedy Pushing 10 only grossing $8 million off its $33 million budget. But Billy Bob and Cusack have wonderful chemistry in this hilarious movie. And also in 1999, the greatest year for movies ever, he starred in one of the greatest movies ever, being John Malkovich. One day, John Cusack was feeling very bored of all the plots from all of the screenplays he was being offered. So John Cusack told his agent to present him with the craziest, most unpredictable script that he could find. And that script was being John Malkovich. And boy, howdy, was it a wild, trippy ride. Truly unlike anything ever made before or after. Charlie Kaufman plus Spike Jones plus John Cusack divided by John Malkovich equals really good movie. That's a movie math for ya. And yeah, this is one of my favorites. He plays a puppeteer who discovers a portal into the head of John Malkovich. Yes, the John Malkovich, the jewel thief guy. Roger Ebert even naming it his favorite film of 1999, and that's saying something because 1999 is the best year for movies ever. And Empire Magazine ranked this as one of the 500 greatest movies of all time. Being John Malkovich made $23 million off of its $13 million budget and developed a huge cult following. He has so many frickin' cults. Malcolm, sir, 
with all due respect, I discovered that portal. I mean, it's my livelihood, do you understand? It's my head, Schwartz. It's my head! Then he kicked off the new millennium, the year 2000, with the film High Fidelity. John Cusack would step back into the writer's chair with his highly respected romantic comedy about a record store owner who recounts his top five breakups. Finally, John would get some recognition and received a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in this film, and AFI named this film the Movie of the Year. He's so freaking cool in this movie, he's so freaking perfect. It's like the perfect freaking vehicle for John Cusack's freaking talents. It's got wit, charm, romance, comedy, music. High Fidelity has all of those cinematic ingredients. It's good, go watch it, if you like good movies. Brother, what a night it really was! But I'm gonna then John Cusack would star opposite Catherine Zeta-Jones, Julia Roberts, and Billy Crystal in 2001's romantic comedy co-written by Billy Crystal called America's Sweethearts. The film was actually a financial hit, pulling in just a uh, shy of $140 million, yet the critics were unkind to this romantic comedy, saying that the characters were unsympathetic and that the comedy was not very comical. But I saw it, I thought it was good. Christopher Walken's in it, he's funny. But I haven't seen it since 2001, and I've changed since then. Speaking of 2001, he did the movie Serendipity in that year. The film was a financial success though, making over $77 million. Then in 2002, there was a movie called Max, which is an interesting title for a movie about a fictional tale of an art dealer who forms a friendship with Adolf Hitler. And in order to secure financing for this movie, John Cusack took no salary. But the film was a box office bomb, making $1 million, yet critics were compelled by the what-if premise. Like Marvel, but with... but with Hitler. And we all know how much John Cusack loves cameos, so he had to do one in 2002's adaptation. He would take on a cameo in this film that depicts, in part, the making of his earlier film, being John Malkovich. It's so frickin' meta but everything's better when it's meta. Then came John Cusack's first venture into the horror film territory with a very clever film, so I hear, I haven't seen it, called Identity, about strangers being mysteriously killed off one by one. And Identity was very profitable, making over $90 million from a $28 million budget, but I hear this is one of those love it or hate it kind of movies. Do you love it or do you hate it? And actually, the reason why I haven't seen Identity is because, unfortunately, the twist ending was spoiled for me. So I never got around to watching this, I just didn't feel motivated. And this, this right here, kids, is why you should never spoil movies for people. John Cusack's next film would be the stylish big-screen adaptation of John Grisham's Runaway Jury, featuring acting legends Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman. John Cusack is the juicy meat in the middle of this Hackman-Hoffman acting sandwich, and it's just great to watch great actors lit loose and act their asses off. Then came Must Love Dogs in 2005, another romantic comedy. The director gave the script to John Cusack and told him to change any of the dialogue to better suit him, and John Cusack sent the script back to him with 35 pages of changes. As with all of John's poorly reviewed films, the critics loved the performances, but hated the movie. It's like, how can you have such good acting in such bad movies? I don't know, but it just keeps happening. Then came The Ice Harvest, and it's directed by the late, great Harold Ramis. Critics didn't really like this movie, but lots of people do, who aren't critics. 
and they matter too. People always say there's no such thing as the perfect crime. But I don't agree with that. Then there was the movie The Contract, and this would be John's first time dipping his toes in the direct-to-video world, and it has 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Zero. But then, there's a really good movie called Grace is Gone. The film won the Audience Award for Drama in the 2007 Sundance Film Festival, so that's quite the honor. Critics mostly enjoyed the film, calling it a finely acted portrayal of grief and healing. <laughs> then came 1408 in 2007. This was adapted from a Stephen King short story, and it made $132 million worldwide. So, wow, good job. Money is good, I guess. Both audiences and critics thought the film was genuinely creepy, and they appreciated that the film relied on psychological tension rather than just cheap gore and violence. And jump scares! Then there was something called The Martian Child that only made $10 million and everyone hated it, even Martians. And then there was War Incorporated, which was a spiritual cousin to Gross Point Blank, but, uh, nobody really liked it. People called the film uneven and smug, how dare they? But it was the 10th collaboration with his sister, so that's nice. And then came everybody's favorite animated character, Igor, right? Everybody loves Igor. John Cusack would return to the world of animation in this tale about the hunchback assistant who dreams of becoming a mad scientist. Don't we all? The film made only $30 million off a $25 million budget. Hi, I'm here about the Igor Wanted ad. My name's Igor. Well, of course it is. I've got a hunch on my back. What's my name going to be? Kevin? <laughs> then in the year 2009 came a movie about the year 2012. Before it happened. And this is John Cusack's highest grossing film, coming just shy of $800 million worldwide. And actually in March 2020, just a few months ago, because coronavirus was scaring the shite out of everybody, people started going back and watching this movie for some reason, and it rocketed up to number two in Netflix's most popular movies. So 2012 got a boost in 2020. And critics were impressed by the visuals of this film, but thought the script was weak. This is one of those movies that you call disaster porn, and John Cusack is a wonderful disaster porn star. Then came one of the funniest movies of that time, 2010, Hot Tub Time Machine. John Cusack would return to his 80s roots in this hilarious time travel comedy. It's a fun homage to the genre that made him. John Cusack said that he signed on to the film just because of the title. And most people actually liked this movie, and everybody loved the cast, they had great chemistry together, they told jokes that were funny. It's a great story, it works. Hot Tub Time Machine grossed just shy of $65 million, which uh, is pretty good for a comedy with a silly name, and it generated a sequel, which I hear sucked, and only features John Cusack in a cameo in a deleted scene. One, two, three, Hot Tub Time Machine! It felt good, admit it. John Cusack would then star in a World War II drama called Shanghai. The film sat on the shelf for five years and only had a limited release in America, pulling in just shy of $50,000. And everybody hated this movie because it's a weak story with clunky direction. It's a convoluted mess. And in the post-apocalyptic year of 2012, 
He made The Raven, a disappointing Edgar Allan Poe movie. And lots of people said that this disgraced the legacy of the poet himself. Nevermore. Also, in that post-apocalyptic year of 2012 came a movie called The Paperboy. John Cusack and Nicole Kidman had quite the introduction. They filmed their sex scenes on the very first day of shooting. Nice to meet ya. And Nicole Kidman said that this is the only film that she has actually gone full method for, staying in character the whole time. So after film wrapped, John Cusack and Nicole Kidman formally introduced themselves. Actors are so freaking weird. And now we enter into the third act, the third stage of John Cusack's career. We enter into a stage of what happens to most 80s, 90s stars, the direct-to-video stage. During this time, John Cusack would star in several direct-to-video films, and some films that got a very limited theatrical release. Films like these films right here that I'm about to talk about. The Frozen Ground. It reunited him with his Con Air co-star, Nicolas Cage. And John Cusack took the role of a serial killer because he was sick of being offered romantic comedies. All those romantic comedies were making him go crazy, so he snapped and became a serial killer. On... on screen. Not in real life. I don't think. You don't have any idea who I am! Then there was The Numbers Station, where he played a disgraced black ops agent, and Grand Piano, written by future Oscar winner Damien Giselle. Then there was a movie called Adult World. He took a supporting role in this film playing a famous poet, one of those quirky indies, you know, full of lots of, lots of quirky quirkiness. You know how those indies can be. Then he starred alongside Robert De Niro in a film called The Bag Man, and a movie called Drive Hard. Yes, that's the real title, Drive Hard. And The Prince. John Cusack would team up with his fellow actor who doesn't seem to care anymore, Bruce Willis. And the movie got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. I repeat, 0%. He would reunite with his paperboy director, Lee Daniels, to play Richard Nixon in the movie The Butler. Lee Daniels, The Butler. This film should have been a triumph for everyone involved and a big comeback for John Cusack, but it was not. The film had some positive reviews, but many people called this obvious Oscar bait. And it's based off a true story, but they changed the true story so much that it's almost disrespectful to the real man, the real butler. It could have been great, but it has many shortcomings. You know, like Nixon. Would there be anything else, Mr. President? Then John Cusack would return to the world of weird-ass movies in Maps to the Stars a 2014 David Cronenberg film that took a look at the obsession with fame in the heart of Hollywood. Critics found the movie to be a jumbled mess, but hey, at least he got to be in a David Cronenberg film. So there's that. And while promoting this film, he had some harsh words to say about today's popular culture and the film industry, calling it a whorehouse. And everyone in that Hollywood whorehouse was offended when he called it a whorehouse. Cusack went on to say that Hollywood chews up young actors and spits them out. Then Cusack had a major comeback in the Beach Boy biopic film, Love and Mercy. Cusack would play the adult version of the Beach Boy Brian Wilson, old Paul Dano, and he really gets a chance to shine and show off his acting chops. The film holds a strong 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, most people loving the performances from the two leads, Cusack and Dano, 
He did some more direct-to-video and limited-release movies. I'll talk about those movies right now. There was a movie called Reclaim. 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, just saying. And there was Dragon Blade, a film that was a massive box office hit in China, pulling in over $116 million there. And I remember seeing the trailer for this and seeing the cast, and I was like, whoa! Yeah, John Cusack can literally be in any genre. Wow. But the critical response for this film was lukewarm. And sell. John Cusack would reunite with his 1408 co-star Samuel L. Jackson for another Stephen King adaptation about a man fighting to reunite with his son during a cell phone apocalypse. Then he would reunite with Nicolas Cage again for the film Arsenal which has 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is better than zero. Then he did a modern retelling of the treasure of Sierra Madre called Blood Money, and he played an inventor of an AI device in a movie called Singularity, and he played a hacker in a thriller called Distorted, and then he did a movie called The River Runs Red, which I'm just gonna read the tagline. Vengeance is the only justice. But in 2019, there was a movie called Never Grow Old. And it looks pretty damn good, actually, if you like your westerns cooked dark and gritty. But yeah, the movie Never Grow Old gives me hope for a John Cusack comeback. John Cusack would then go on to star in the Amazon Prime series Utopia, remade from the uh, UK show. It's about a group of young adults forced to save the world from a virus or something. It's so 2020. But the series was quickly cancelled. That's so 2020. But it looks interesting, I want to watch it. Can I have one of y'all's Amazon Prime passwords? Utopia! So, what the fuck happened to John Cusack? What made his star fall from the holy Hollywood heavens? John Cusack made his name as a teen star in the 80s, but then took a step back to take on smaller roles in mostly highly respected films. But then, when he was ready, he struck, producing and writing some of his best stuff. And of course, in the past few years, Cusack has been stuck in that direct-to-video tar pit. But his comeback with Love and Mercy shows that he still is capable of giving truly phenomenal performances. And sadly, his latest attempt at mainstream success, Utopia, was cancelled. But I think the world is ready for The Sack to reignite his career. He's an extremely talented actor who just needs a little career bump to get him going. And perhaps, maybe the writer in him is working on something right now. John Cusack has made plenty of good movies that he will forever be remembered as one of the finest actors to ever make movies. So nobody, not nobody should give a f about what the f happened to John Cusack. Because he is truly an American beauty. It's funny, I actually was just text messaging with a friend because I'm missing class right now. You are? And my film class. And it's so funny because they're watching American Beauty today and analyzing it. American Beauty? Mm-hmm. What's funny about that? You were in that. No, I wasn't. American Beauty? Nope. What's the one with the rose petals? I'm not in that. That's not you? No. Really? No. Really? I swear to God. Am I just very confused? I think you are. Thank you for watching our show. 
If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel. Tell your friends who like this sort of content and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We're an independent company and we appreciate all your support.